Welcome to the Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. Good evening and welcome to Sages Among Us on KVMR. My name is Taylor Wolf, one of your hosts for The Sages Among Us, and my guest tonight is Jeff Goldman, Nevada County's Chief Probation Officer. Jeff has worked for Nevada County since January 2015. He began his career with the Placer County Probation in early 2001, working at the Juvenile Detention Center, and also worked at the Sacramento De- Police Department, Yolo County Probation Department, uh, before becoming coming back to Nevada County Probation. He was a past president of the California Probation, Parole, and Corrections Association. Jeff attended undergraduate school at the City University of New York, John Jay College, and graduate school at California State University, Sacramento. He then went on to earn a master's degree in public affairs from the Truman School of Public Affairs at the University of Missouri, Missouri, Columbia. And he currently lives in Nevada County with his wife and kids. Welcome to the show tonight, Jeff. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into a little bit of your history tonight. So um, let's start off. Just tell us a little bit about where you grew up in your childhood and what that was like. Okay, so that that's kind of a difficult question because I, I moved a lot as a kid. I didn't really grow up in any one place. Um, I was born in Kansas City, Missouri, um, and that's where the majority of my aunts and uncles and um family still reside and I lived in Colorado for a, a big stretch um, I lived in Texas briefly I've lived in California northern and southern California um, ultimately I graduated from high school in South Lake Tahoe um, which brought me up to northern California okay great and and before we were on air it sounded like you were telling me you lived or went to 13 different high schools or not high schools schools growing up yeah so I switched school a lot. I mean, I think my parents were kind of the original kind of uh, outdoor ski bum kind of folks. So I always used to call it poverty with a view. Um, <laughs> we, we would live in places that were were nice to live, but, you know, sometimes in like a one bedroom apartment with, you know, four people in there. So, um, but, you know, I got to do a lot of different things, see a lot of different things. Um, and so it, it, it was interesting looking back now, you know, it was an interesting time, but... Um, you know, now I probably strive for a little more stability in my own kid's life rather than moving around so much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you mentioned that you grew up at least for a portion of your childhood in South Lake Tahoe and you lived in these great outdoorsy areas. Is there something in particular that kind of drew you back to Northern California after living everywhere? Um, yeah, I mean, most of our activities that we do as a family are outdoor type activities, riding bikes, skiing, snowboarding, and those sorts of things. I mean, when I lived in Colorado, I lived in Breckenridge, Colorado, which is also a ski area type of town. Um, and so we were drawn towards, when we moved up here, we were living down in Yolo County. And so we were drawn towards moving back towards the mountains because that's where we were spending most of our time anyways, is coming back up this direction. So um, that's what drew us to Nevada County. We didn't know anything about Nevada County. We didn't know. I mean, we knew one person, uh, Melinda Booth at Circle is actually my wife's college roommate. So that was like the only person we knew in town. Um, but other than that, 
um, we didn't really know anyone here in town to, or anything about Nevada County, really. Yeah, small town. It's funny the connections you, you make once you live here. Um, well, that's great. Um, and let's dig into probation a little bit. Like, what what did that look like, that evolution? You have this great background, it sounds like, both with law enforcement, but also probation, which is a different side of law enforcement, too. Was there pieces of your childhood growing up that drew you towards that field, or what did that look like? So a lot of people have the same kind of probation origin story. You know, I actually initially went to school for, um, I was a chemistry major with toxicology and criminalistics for the the emphasis and realized I didn't want to go to, um, most of the people in the program would end up becoming pathologists and, you know, going to med school and that sort of thing. So I went more on the criminal justice side. And when I came back to California, um, started graduate school and was a teaching assistant at Sac State. Um, And during that time, I just needed a job that would go along with some of the other stuff that I was doing. So I started working at the juvenile hall, um, not really knowing much about it. Um, And I've been doing it pretty much ever since, you know, and that was just something I fell in love with. And I think one of the things that kind of kind of formed how I approach probation, I remember a, a, a story kind of, there was a kid that was in the hall or the juvenile hall. I mean, most people that work there shorten it to call it the hall, but there was a kid in there, great kid. He um, would help out with everything. Um, He's always the person that you asked if you needed help with some sort of task in the facility. Um, and it, at one day I looked to see, okay, why is this kid in here? Cause he just keeps coming back. And I looked and he had stolen uh, a DVD for his sister's birthday. And he got charged with a, felony burglary for that and then just had some bumps in the road where they just kept pulling him in you know he would go out drinking with his friends or do something like that uh, and it made me think like man that why why is this person coming in all this time from this one incident where you know it didn't seem like that serious of an incident to me and it made me kind of think about the system um you know as i was in school and writing you know graduate level papers about the criminal justice system and sort sort of things like that it made me want to get more involved in kind of shaping and kind of changing that system. And now we've gotten to a point here in Nevada County and a lot of other counties in the state to where juvenile halls are closing at record rates. Um, and at that time, they were bursting at the seams where we were turning people away because all the beds were full and building new juvenile halls. So Interesting. And, you know, when Nevada County had a juvenile hall, I believe that was based underneath our probation department. But you were saying when you started out in Sacramento, it was actually under the the police department or how does that no, change? I, no, it's, they're all under the probation department. I worked at probation for a couple of years and then I left to go to the police department. It was a whole separate, separate thing. Um, then realized I liked the, the job of a probation officer better. Um, and it was just a better fit for me. Um, but no, the structure is probation. That's one of the, the statutory kind of requirements of a probation department is if there's a juvenile hall that they operate that juvenile hall. So, so tell us what the what is a day in the life of a probation officer look like? I know it's much more than just juvenile hall, and you've worked in almost every single different component of probation. Yeah, so, I mean, there's no kind of, I mean, we go through processes where we try to define, you know, what is a probation officer, and, you know, without using the word social worker with a badge or... Um, law enforcement and using other professions to kind of explain what we do. Um, 
and and it continues to evolve to where we're wearing more and more hats. So, I mean, we have officers that write investigative reports for the court. So when someone gets sentenced, um, the sentencing report or the investigation for the judge comes from the probation department and the recommendation for what that sentencing structure would look like. Um, we do supervision of a, both adults and juveniles, um, and that that's evolved as well. We use to determine how we supervise folks. We use an actuarial risk assessment now, so it's more of a scientific model and kind of a medical model kind of approach to how we supervise folks. Um, and through this process, we, we determine the risk to reoffend and what programs they need and what, what things that we need to address to try to get them to that place to where they don't reoffend anymore and that they can reintegrate into the community. Um, on the juvenile side, it's from every citation, every time a kid uh, juvenile gets contacted by the police, that comes to the probation department first before it goes to the district attorney or to the court, and then we make a decision as to what happens with that person. Um, and you know, that's we always try to stress that that's a pretty big um, undertaking for the staff because I mean, that moment when they decide whether to drag that kid into the system or to handle it informally could be kind of a pivotal moment in their life as to outcomes further down the road. Um, so they take that very seriously. Um, also, on the adult side, um, we do pretrial. So people that formally, I mean, they, they still can be released on bail, but in that that time frame between offense and sentencing, if they're out of custody, then we supervise those folks. Um, I mean, we do step-parent adoptions. We do minor marriages. We do a myriad of things. <laughs> you know, it's it's a lot of stuff, and it's a lot of things, and it, and it just keeps getting more difficult. It used to be pretty simple that we had one type of probation. Now we have three types on the adult side, and you have, you know, a dozen types on the juvenile side. Um, and it used to be we just kind of, dusted people off, told them what their conditions were, and kind of sent them on their way. And now we're facilitating cognitive behavioral therapy. We're using um, evidence-based practices as far as supervision approaches go. We're teaming with the families on the juvenile side to try to make it more of a, a team approach so that when we leave that they have the skills that they need to continue um, to be successful versus us just kind of coming in and wagging our finger and then leaving and then leaving them you know, to their own devices. Um, we try to give them those supports that they need to be successful after we we're out of that uh, out of their lives. Yeah, and for folks just tuning in, we're talking with Jeff Goldman, our Nevada County Probation Officer. Um, it sounds like probation has m made this really interesting evolution over the past twenty years since you've been involved. I mean, what what are your thoughts on that, and what has what has that looked like, or what has that experience been as it evolves for you? I know. Um, you know, AB 109 is legislation that's totally changed the game. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, as far as AB 109, um, I mean, that just created, essentially, there's there's offenses that formerly folks would have went to prison. Now they go, they're served locally, so they would do a, ter a term in local jail and or um, get supervision locally, as well as there are folks that are coming out of prison that would have went to parole that now come locally. And so with some of that, so for example, the folks that would have come out on parole, um, there are a lot better outcomes with local probation than there was with parole because parole a lot of times has a regional approach um, and not saying that they're doing anything wrong. It's just the way it was set up. So a lot of times we know more about the services that are available locally and the connections to 
um, resources and, you know, a little bit more about the families and that, especially in a rural area or a small town where everyone knows everyone and kind of know the dynamics a little bit better to help folks um, be successful. But yeah, I mean, that was a big switch. And, you know, now 11 years down the road, um, it hasn't been as, um, at least from my perspective and the perspective of the folks that I work with, it's it, it wasn't as big as an impact as we, we thought it would be when it first happened. I mean, now it's just kind of the way we do business. And a lot of my staff at this point weren't around when it made that change. So they don't know any different anyway. Mm-hmm. So do you think it's made an impact on the people you serve and the way they receive services? Um, yes and no. I mean, the, the belief was that these are different people, but they were all the same people. Um, they were just at different stages of the, the criminal justice process. So, you know, the individuals that were going to prison and coming back out on parole are the same people that were on probation prior to that. So it's not like they were a new group of people that we had never seen before. They were people that we already knew and already had established, Mm -hmm. you know, relationships with or rapport with. Um, As far as services, it has helped. um, The funding that the state gives has helped quite a bit. Um, Generally in this line of work, there's kind of a pendulum swing to where it's like, all the funding goes to juveniles and then it goes to adults. And then, I mean, when I first started, we had adult caseloads of up to 600 people, um, you know, banked caseloads of over a thousand people. So it wasn't, it was very administrative, the things that you did. You didn't have time to connect with people and get them the services they needed. You just were responding to, it was filling out paperwork, you know, someone violated their probation move on to the next person. You didn't have time to sit down and try to get to know them and get to know what they needed and point them in the right direction. And so now caseloads are a lot more manageable. So That's great. Tonight I'm speaking with Jeff Goldman, Nevada County's chief probation officer. Uh, Jeff, you were just telling us all about what probation does and, and how you work with your clients, but probation also is, um, you know, out there in the community uh, creating those relationships outside of just those that you serve. Can you tell us a little bit about your outreach efforts? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we try to get out, um, and help whenever we can. I mean, like I said, how, how we're wearing many different hats. I know, um, some of the things kind of outside of our scope is that, you know, we realized for emergency operations kind of, um, with fires and, uh, snowmageddon and all those kinds of things that during the day, Monday through Friday, a lot of times we have the most sworn staff on of any agency because we're all in the same, uh, because we're not doing shift work. So we, we've outfitted our cars with the high low sirens and lights so that when there are evacuations that we can help out, um, with those, um, we try to help out with the warming shelters. We try to help out with the evacuation shelters when that's happened for different events. Um, you know, we're in the schools. We've developed a program at the schools um, that we call the school liaison officer. We're essentially, we're not focusing on kids that are on probation and we're not trying to net widen and, and bring kids into probation, but the schools were, we're seeing a kind of a gap of a need of not quite needing a school resource officer um, and kind of the in-between of a school resource officer and a social worker um, and trying to help them out. And the schools, I mean, we just added another day at another school today because the schools just keep asking us to, to help out. Um, and you know, all of our staff really like kids. I mean, which is very helpful and kids gravitate towards them and, you know, explain when they're having issues or concerns and problems. And so we've also teamed up with that group with, uh, Victor 
support services or um, to have a social worker with our staff to help us make resource referrals and those sorts of things for kids before they even come into the system. You know, and that can be anything from they need food or clothing or they need some sort of therapeutic intervention um, or help getting to school or whatever it is, just so they don't get to that point to where referrals are coming into us. Uh, but staff also, we, tr- we try to do outreach to where, you know, um, I think I mentioned to you that that we've helped out at the food bank and, you know, we help out donation day and all those different things that come along. We're, we're trying to assist when we can um, and have volunteer efforts. So. Yeah. And is there any way like when people, is there any volunteer opportunities with Nevada County probation? Like how can people find you guys and connect with you if they want to learn more about probation? Yeah. So, I mean, we have, I think one of the best ways is that we have, a couple of public meetings or uh, in committees or groups. One of them is relative to AB 109. It's called the Community Corrections Partnership, and so that's that's a public meeting where folks can go. Um, and it was really created by legislation called SB 678, but really didn't come into fruition until um, prison realignment. And that's a group that we we discuss um, essentially different tactics that we're going to take and different. Um, programs that we're going to fund using the AB 109 dollars and what the community thinks is important, uh, you know, the different departments are working on, and we kind of develop a plan every year, which we're actually just now submitting. Um, and with that group, we just did a strategic planning session where we did have some community outreach where um, some community members were interviewed by the folks facilitating our, our um, strategic planning process, and we sent out a community survey. Um, on a couple of different links, as well as on the juvenile side, there's a juvenile justice planning commission that also does a similar function for juvenile funds of looking at problem issues in the community that should be addressed using these funds that come through to the department um, to address early intervention and delinquency and those sorts of things um, in different parts of the community. And uh, we've talked a lot about juveniles and all the work probation does with kids, but you also have two, two kids of your own. Is that correct? Correct. And your wife and you do a scholarship for for kids as well. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so that, that kind of came about um, from changing schools so often. I really didn't like, um, I, I guess another unique thing was like, I mean, I've worked since I was 12 years old. I started working um, and randomly um, I took an ROP class in high school. And the the idea was that um, I didn't have to go to school after lunch three days a week, so I could go skiing. But that got me into, surprisingly enough, a job. I was um, underwrite or processing mortgages when I was a junior in high school, and then I put myself through college underwriting mortgages, um, and really didn't think about going to college because I mean I had a job. There wasn't anyone else really in my family that had gone to college, um, but then. You know, people came into my life that kind of influenced me to go to college. I did well. So we tried to set something up for kids that, like, there's no GPA requirements. There's no – it's called the Be Awesome Scholarship. Um, And my wife really does all the work to set it up. But it's just there, like, write a paragraph, write an essay on why you're awesome and what you want to do. And, you know, they can get the scholarship. And it's open to – it's not uh, grade-based or anything, so it's open to anyone. So just with the idea of giving someone a little boost up, so – yeah. How how do people donate to the scholarship or apply to it? 
um, to apply to it. Um, we go through the Nevada Union um, Joint High School District, so through mm-hmm. the scholarship office there. Um, and there's also, I mean, there's also scholarships through the Juvenile Justice Commission as well for kids that um, don't fit that kind of traditional um, grade-based kind of scholarship program. So, All right. And um, getting back to the outdoors, we're kind of coming full circle here to why you moved to the area and were drawn here. You talked that about how you love biking and getting outdoors. And I understand that you're involved in the upcoming Heart of Gold gravel ride. And you even actually made the courses this year. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, with some help, I might have stole, stolen some of the short course. Um, but yeah, we I was the chair of the course committee and helped put the courses together. And so um, I've just always loved riding bikes. My parents rode bikes. Um, you know, the I think my parents in the mid eighties started the Colorado Springs cycling club. So, I mean, I've been around it for a long time. Um, and I have a weird knack for just wanting to ride long distances. Um, I think it's just kind of a, you know, clear your head and get out to places and see places that people haven't seen before. Um, you know, recently in, um, August, I did a race in Colorado. That's 105 miles on a mountain bike at, starts at elevation 10,250 feet in Leadville, Colorado. That's um, a very difficult <laughs> difficult race, so I enjoy doing that kind of stuff. So I was excited when Supervisor Bullock um, came up with the idea of having this race here um, and letting other people kind of explore this area because some of the areas that we're going to cover this year, like going out towards Graniteville and then dropping down to Washington, like – Nobody's out there when I'm riding. Like, there's not a lot of other cyclists that are riding out there, so it's going to kind of expose the area to some to some great riding that um, people aren't normally exposed to, and it's for a great cause. I mean, it it supports um, bright futures for youth, uh, youth bicyclists of Nevada County, child advocates, and the Tahoe Forest uh, Hospital Foundation. So, I mean, it's for a great cause. It's in a great area, um, and it looks to be hopefully great weather. Um, in a great area. So, I mean, we're still looking for more volunteers to, to cover aid stations, to cover um, a handful of other marshalling kind of duties where you're kind of f- flagging the uh, the riders down so that they make turns and those sorts of things. Um, so there's that opportunity. There's an opportunity that um, I convinced one of our local dentists to um, do what we're calling the claim jumper, where he starts last and um, you donate money for every person that he passes before before they finish. Um, and so he's a, he's a really strong writer, much stronger than me. So hopefully he passes everyone before before the end and raises a lot of money for the folks. Um, and I think on uh, is it Heart of Gold, the Instagram page or Facebook page, some of that information's out there if people are interested in it. So great. And uh, what's the what's the date again? And where does the course location go through? You mentioned Graniteville, but so it's October eighth, and it starts at the Rood Center. Um, and folks come from all over. I mean, I, I was looking at the registration. Um, a lot of people from the Bay Area, a lot of people from all over California, but there's folks from Utah, Colorado, um, all over. There's a couple of pro racers. That are participating but it starts at the root center um the short route goes from the root center up north bloomfield to rock rock creek or lake vera Perdon to rock creek and then up north bloomfield across all the way up above malakoff diggins um into kind of no man's land up there and then loops back around to malakoff diggins and then back up 
and across to Purdon Crossing and back. And then the, the far loop goes all the way out to Graniteville, that same kind of route, but out to Graniteville, town of Washington, climbs back up to Malakoff, and then back over to Purdon. Sounds like a challenging ride. Yes, it's, it's a long day. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. Um, well, it sounds like you're really active in the community. You've got a lot going on in probation. Um, you know, one of the questions we often ask on Sages is if there was one thing that you could change about our community, uh, what would it be? You know, I, I don't think it's anything specific. I think it's, you know, more generally of, I think in the work that I do is that people realize that if we're trying to, every, everyone that we interact with um, eventually comes back to the community. I mean, whether they're in jail or prison or wherever, at some point they come back to the community. That that the key that I found for them to be successful is to have some sort of connection. Um, and I think a lot of times we do things that alienate um, these folks that kind of limit that connection. And so just realizing that some of the things that we're doing are counterintuitive to the outcome that we want. Um, so if we could just realize that, and, and we're starting programs to try to help with that. We started a program with the DA's office that's a victim offender mediation program um, that's based on a restorative justice model. So essentially keeping the idea that victims and offenders are going to see each other in a small town. So if we can have a trained mediator, if they're willing to do it, and so it's voluntary on both sides, and we wait until the offender gets to a point that we feel that it, it's going to be a benefit and comfortable for them, that they can integrate, um, that they can have this mediation. The victim can say their piece and the harms that they've caused the community, and the offender can listen and then have this mediation process to hopefully come to a ground. And not saying that it you know, justifies what they did or makes anything right, but a part of that is, you know, the victim restoration and that offender accountability piece. And I think that kind of mediation process kind of brings them back together mm -hmm. um, to come to some sort of ground to where they both sides feel like they they've had some sort of closure on the, the, the act or whatever happened. So, yeah. And on the flip side of that, you know, in the book Sages Among Us, a lot of people felt that this area was really special and you're the perfect person to ask this because you live so many different places. Is there, is there some particular reason or thing that you feel that makes our community so special? Yeah. I mean, I think so many people, I mean, as, as was told to me when I first started, this was that, you know, this started years ago and there's still people to interview that there's so many people involved in the community. I mean, I think half my neighbors have a radio show at KVMR uh, you know, everyone's engaged in something or multiple things. Um, there's a lot of different ways to be engaged in the community here, more so than other communities. And it's different than, you know, in other communities where people drive into their garage and the door shuts and they go in their house and you never see them again. It seems like everyone's out and engaged in a part of the community um, and trying to make the community a better place for everyone. Yeah, and on that note too, we are we are getting close, um, probably a little more than a minute out. But just your thoughts on leadership in general, or you know, what's how would you encourage current community members listening to you, Jeff Goldman, our chief probation officer tonight? How can they go out and get engaged and make a difference in our community? Well, I mean, I think it just starts with, I mean, you have to. It has to be something you're interested in and passionate about. And I think it it's not as um, difficult as 
joining a board or a commission or something like that. It's, you know, go out and fix a trail or go out and, you know, buy some groceries for a neighbor or something when they are immobile or something like that. You know, it's, it's just that little first step. Absolutely. All right, Jeff, thank you so much for being one of our guests tonight. It was great to have you on and learn a little bit more about probation and also all the work that you do in the community. You've been listening to The Sages Among Us on KVMR. Discover how you can make a difference by tuning in Wednesday evenings at 630.